So I want to introduce my opening um, by, by letting you know that the person that I'm describing, say for just a couple people in here, you don't know. And the only reason that I'm saying that is because as I describe this person, and their name is actually Dan, and I know there are some Dans in the church, um, that uh, I, I'm not describing anyone here in this community, especially as I described them. The characteristics may make you wonder whether or not it's that person. I already told Dan Schenkel today it's not him. Um, he still doesn't believe me. He thinks, he thinks it is, but that's okay because um, he's wrong. But uh, there is this there's this, there's this guy I know, and I've known him for a long time. I've actually known him probably for about 35 years. I, I didn't really know him well in the beginning sort of part of our relationship because his family and our family were friends, but they were friends from a distance, um, several hundred miles at least. Um, actually, it was even a couple thousand miles at, at different points. But we would very occasionally over the years, get to spend time with this other family. And that thing happens, which we sometimes do to our kids. We're friends with other people, and they have kids too. So since we want to spend time with our friends, we shove kids together who aren't friends and tell them to get along for a few hours so we can sit and talk and have fun. You know what I'm talking about? Like we, in a sense, force our kids to have fun with people they don't know. And sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't. In this situation, it worked out okay. My family would would visit with this family, and then um, myself and Dan and would would sit and talk sometimes, and sometimes it would be great, and sometimes it would be whatever. And but that's how I knew him. Well, but then we moved into the community where Dan is. And when we first got to this community, Kristen, my wife, and I um, thought that we were going to be friends with Dan and his wife, pretty close friends, and in fact, sort of invested a little bit in that relationship. I think that Dan and, and his wife invested a little bit in us. But what became clear to me is that if I was going to have a relationship with Dan, it's going to be hard. Because Dan is, is stubborn, opinionated, and pig-headed, and obviously completely different than I am. So it was just clear to me that if, but, but he was, I was a youth pastor, he was a youth leader, and so for us to be in, we didn't have a choice but to be in some sort of level of relationship. Um, but it became clear to me at the beginning that we were just not going to be close friends because our personalities clashed. In fact, there was a situation that happened that sort of highlighted um, just our differences with the school that I, that I was, uh, a lot of the kids from youth group were in, and there was a conflict that happened, and, and I was involved, and then all of a sudden Dan was involved, and it got worse, and just one of those things where I was like, ah, you know, this is, this was, ended up to be frustrating. So I took some space and Dan took some space from me and we just decided to sort of, you know, just say, okay, truce. Then a couple of things happened. And over the course of several years, um, I became a part of a small group with Dan um, we had some different things. Fantasy football actually brings people together pretty deeply, um, depending on your, on your league. And that happened. I was in a fantasy football league with this guy, and so we made fun of each other all the time, and that made, brought us closer together. Unfortunately, his, his, his brother-in-law was a, um, uh, a helicopter pilot in Iraq um, during the Second Iraq War, and he was killed. And that was a monumental moment in the life of Dan. And then as a result of that, him and I and some other, just our relationship with him became much deeper because he was a brother that I cared about who was going through great pain. 
And although Dan and I are not close friends, I don't, I don't text them all the time. In fact, usually if we text, it's because we're making fun of each other's fantasy football teams. That's, why we, that's how we interact oftentimes. But when I, we get together, I give him a hug. And I mean it. Because I love the guy. And frankly, both of us have said at one point or another, you ever need me, give me a call. I'll be there. Finding out what a relationship looks like takes time and it goes through bumps and, and you know, hilltops and valleys and challenges. And what we have this morning in Mark chapter 2 is Jesus building a relationship with his people that hits some bumps and valleys. He's trying to get to know them or they're trying to get to know him. And they got to figure some stuff out. They got to figure out who each other is. And Jesus this morning is showing the people that he has come to love and minister to who he is. And we see here some of the misunderstanding that comes that creates conflict. In fact, if you look at Mark chapter 2, you're going to see the introduction of the conflict, the great conflict that ultimately results in Jesus' death. And that is his conflict with teachers, scribes, and Pharisees. This morning, we get this picture of, of Jesus introducing himself more deeply to his people through the healing of the paralytic. If you would turn with me to Mark 2, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read that text today. Mark 2, 1 says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So Jesus comes into the town of Capernaum and he's been out and about in the countryside. Then he comes into this town and he ends up at this house and there's crowds there. Well, what we know from chapter one of of Mark is that uh, Jesus has sort of, uh, his ministry's gained some momentum because he's done some things. Certainly he's come and he's been teaching with authority. In fact, you see that quote earlier on in Mark chapter one that they had never heard one teaching with such authority. But he's doing something else that is probably even more intriguing to them, and that is there's a show when Jesus is around. Right? Because there's teaching and preaching, but there's also healing. A leper is made well. Blind people can see. Those who are deaf can hear. Those who are bleeding are made whole. Now we see some of those stories later on, but we already see in Mark chapter one that he's gone down that road. And what does it say when people are healed? It says that they are amazed. They had never seen such a thing. They're amazed. And you can imagine that it's like, wow, this is incredible. I want to see what he's going to do next. Right? The show. Come on, Jesus. Give me the show. Show me the miracle. Show me the extraordinary. Show me, show me the, ma- the amazing. But what we know actually is that that's not why Jesus came. How do we know that? Look back at chapter 1, verse 38. Chapter 1, verse 38 says this. It gives us Jesus' purpose for ministry. And it says this, let us go somewhere else. He's telling the disciples to the nearby villages 
So I can preach there also. What does it say next? That is why I have come. So Jesus has come to teach about a new life in God. He has come to teach about transformation. And yet people are coming. Yes, they're hearing his preaching. And they say he teaches as one who has authority. But they're also amazed by the show. They long for more of the show. And I wonder about that for us. God has come into our lives to offer us a transformed life through learning, growing, discipleship, study, prayer, discernment, wisdom. But oftentimes, what we pray to God for is, is the sh- sh- give me the show, God. Come heal. Come fix. Come make this thing that is so very broken new. And yes, God can do that through some of our learning and our growing. But it's when it's the extraordinary that we hold it up and say, wow, I experienced God. Even like when we worship. Right? We, when we worship, we want that heart like overflowing. We want that emotion. We want that thing that carries us so we're almost not on the ground. We're floating in this this wonderful presence of God's love and God's spirit and we want that show in our lives and if we don't experience the show then it's not enough. But, But Christ came to teach to preach to transform through his words and understanding, not just through the show of the power of his spirit. And if that's our only desire from God, I think we're missing it. And Jesus is trying to fulfill his purpose in this text, but then he's confronted with the show. Verse three, some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. So he's in this house and we're not thinking about some like 5,000 square foot, you know, uh, this huge place. We're probably talking about a much smaller space. Maybe at most like a thousand and a half square feet or something like that. It's very small and it's absolutely crowded to overflowing. There's people spilling out of the windows and out the doorways. There's nowhere for people to stand because they want to they they see Jesus. Yes, they want to hear his words and his authority. But they also wonder what happens when the show comes. And... Jesus is confronted with the show. Now, really quickly about roofs, we're not talking about people tearing off plywood or anything like that. It could have been possibly like leaves or palm branches that were layered together onto the roof of this house in order to repel the rain, more so the sun, because it didn't rain. It had a rainy season there, not similar to California in some ways. But you could have had maybe some rudimentary clay tiles that would roof the house, but these things weren't attached in the same way that we attach them now. So it was very easy for them to dig holes. And you can imagine these men saying, we gotta get, we gotta get this guy to Jesus. We gotta get this guy to Jesus. So they, they get up on the roof and they're like, okay, where is he? Yep, 
through a crack. They can see, there he is down there. We'll dig here. So they dig this hole and you can imagine the dust flying and people below are looking up because things are dropping on their head and whatever it is that's going on, uh, you know, whatever that material is, is falling to the ground in front of them. And then the, the hole is made and they begin to lower the man. But I have a question. Who are the men who lowered him? Now, we don't know from the text. We want to say maybe friends. There's a part of me, though, that wonders, was one of them his dad? Was his dad up there? And we don't know the story of the paralytic. We don't know how this happened. Was it from birth? Was it from an accident? How old was this man? what's the story that we don't know it, but we can certainly imagine that this young man had been paralyzed perhaps since birth. Perhaps it had been years and years and years and his family, you can well imagine, like any of our families would, would pursue healing, would pursue restoration, would say, what can we do for him to make his body whole? And, and I wonder, as the hole is made in the roof and the mat is lowered, if there's a man standing over the hole looking and going, please let this work. Please. It's been so long. Please, can he walk? When we, we talk about the faith of the passage in some ways, I wonder if it was almost a desperation. Your only hope to make him whole. And that mat drops and it hits the floor. And talk about a pregnant moment. Because the mat's sitting there. People have been listening to Jesus' teaching. You had to imagine that things stopped and the mat comes down and hits the floor and everyone looks down and says, the show's here. What's going to happen next? And I think about that moment and I think about that moment in all of our lives. And, and what I'll say this morning is that all of us who know Jesus have that moment that moment when suddenly it's like, here I am, Jesus. What are you going to do? Maybe here I am for your grace, your salvation. Maybe it's here I am, desperate for your presence to come and restore. Maybe it's here I am, I am sick, or I am an addict, or I am full of sin, or something is broken. Here I am, Lord, what will you do with me? That moment of What happens next? As we read the story, what happens next is absolutely extraordinary. What does it say? It says this. When Jesus saw their faith, and we don't know what their means, it's a pronoun, it could mean just the men on the roof, we know it's more than one, it could be the men on the roof and the person on the mat. But there's faith exhibited here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
What he didn't say is, son, get up and walk, right? Because you've got the, the desire to be healed. You've got the, the hope that, that, that this boy, dad's standing at the mat, please let him walk. Please let him walk. And you can almost imagine when Jesus utters those words, dad on the roof goes, oh, Ugh. okay, that's good and everything, but I want him to walk. Because they missed it. In fact, not only did he maybe miss it, but certainly the scribes and the Pharisees. What does it say next? It says this. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're missing it. Because here in this moment, when Jesus utters those words, your sins are forgiven, what he is saying is he is offering a forever healing. Dad on the roof is standing there going, please, Jesus, give me $20. Please make him walk. And Jesus looks down at the man and says, here's a million Eternal life. Hope for a future. Where death was before, now there's life. Where brokenness was before, now there's wholeness. Where hopelessness was, now there is hope. Jesus, in uttering your, the words, your sins are forgiven, is a deeper healing. A healing of restoration fully and completely for an eternity. So when I ask you the question, have you, who know Jesus, experienced healing, what does your answer have to be? Of course we have. We have experienced the full and complete healing, a healing of our heart fully and completely restored in Jesus Christ. We're getting the million dollars, the billion dollars, the trillion, the everything that Jesus offers to this man. But the teachers and the scribes don't get it. And sometimes we don't get it. What's interesting about the teachers and the scribes not getting it is that they know the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, healing and forgiveness often were interchangeable and went together. When, you, when God forgives, he heals. He heals hearts. He heals and restores. When he forgives, there is a healing. And these teachers and scribes should have known that and understood it. But remember, their issue is not so much that he's forgiven sins. It's who he's saying he is. Who's he saying he is? He's, he's God. And Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah, I am. No, he doesn't say that in the text. But that's really what his utterance of your sins are forgiven is claiming. And he's claiming the truth. But because of the blindness of those men, the scribes, they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand. And I wonder for us sometimes if we miss that too. We miss the fullness of God's healing of us. But let's continue with the text at verse, not eight, verse eight. It says this, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit 
Yet this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. It's amazed everyone. And they praised him, praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. See, the show comes, right? The the paralyzed becomes a walking person. All of a sudden, he can locomotate from one space to the next. He can move. And wow, that's amazing. But Jesus had already said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And what's so interesting about that is for Jesus to give the healing of the legs simply took healing power that he and he alone had. But for him to utter the words, my son, your sins are forgiven. Think about that cost. Because we know what it cost. It cost betrayal. Denial of Peter. Abandonment of his followers. We know that it cost a beating. We know that it cost lashes on his back. We know that it cost being spit upon and cursed at and made fun of. And we know that it it cost a journey down the street with a cross on his back so much so that he couldn't even carry it anymore by himself. We know that it cost cross with hours of laying there slowly but surely being asphyxiated to death and ultimately it cost a life and an exposure to the fullness of the judgment of God for sin for him to heal legs simply took a moment For him to heal sin took a lifetime. So for him to utter those words to us, your sins are forgiven. You have grace. They have a new heart. You are made full. For us to hear that, should move us so deeply and so broadly to a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. But does it? (laughs) What do we do oftentimes? Got a little bit of grumbling sometimes, right? We live in a world that is contentious politically. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Our marriages aren't perfect. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Our kids, our parents, our schools, our jobs, our neighborhoods, our house. Things aren't per- Grumble, 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 grumble. And we have been given full. And I know I don't want to minimize pain. I don't want to minimize the challenge. I don't want to minimize the hurt and the suffering that all of us in one way or another experience. I don't want to minimize the struggle. But what we have in God's healing of our hearts is in everything. All those other things are the little 
things. Yeah, they don't feel little. They feel sometimes monumental. But Christ has dealt with the monumental challenge and problem. Our sin. I hope that he has for you. I hope that you have experienced the fullness of his transformation. And if you haven't, come, let's talk afterwards. I'd like to talk to you about this full and complete healing. But out of that fullness, friends, for us to go out and live in love, for us to live in gratitude, for us to live in grace, because our lives have been given us to the fullest. What did did Christ say? He says, I have come to give you life and it to the full. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He also says, I will give you another comforter who will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit in Christ. We have all those things. Even in the biggest difficulties, those promises are real in Christ. And for us to then live in gratitude with all that we go through, the challenges that we face. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. But you've been given, I've been given everything. I think about that sometimes with my, my cars. We've been having some car issues lately over about the last six, eight months. We have three cars in our home. Actually, right now we have two and a bit because one of them is in a shop totaled. Long story, wasn't my fault. It wasn't anyone in my family's fault. I want to make that clear too. Yeah, sure, it was. But I don't know about you, this happens to me sometimes. You get, you get like a, a tire that's out of balance, right? You go down the highway and it boom, 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 boom. And you're like, oh man, I gotta get that taken care of. You pull up to the stop sign and there's a squeak in your brakes. Oh man, I gotta take care of that. And then your alternator goes, oh man, I hate that's the worst one. When you get up there and you try to turn, turn the key and the car won't start and you're like, Cameron has a story about me in the ACA parking lot over that. We're not going to tell it here. It wasn't my best moment. However, those moments can drive us absolutely crazy. And I sit there and I'm like, stupid car! Nickel and diamond meet it at 100 bucks here, $250 there. This thing, that thing, it's like, ah! And I have a car. There are some people in this room who would love to have a car. There are some people in this room who would give a whole lot if they could to have a car. There's 15 and 16 year olds in this room who would love to have a car, but others as well. My car, grumble, 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 but I have a car. My marriage, sometimes, grumble, 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 grumble. I have a woman who loves me and I love her and God has put us together. A job, grumble, 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 grumble. But I have ability to work and honor God, glorify him. A country with political issues, grumble, 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 grumble. But we have a place that we can try to figure out how to fix the mess and we can do it together. A church where the preacher goes too long, grumble, 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 grumble. but a body of Christ that when you're going through garbage loves you 
and cares for you and watches out for you and will help you. In Christ, we have been given everything. The healing is full and complete. There are challenges, hard stuff, but the fullness of God is made complete in Jesus Christ in our hearts for all eternity and for us to then be able to say, likewise the people that we stand amazed and unlike the text that we read here today, go away with thanksgiving. You've been given everything. This week when you think about grumbling, when you think about this, or that, or whatever thing. Remember what you have been given. You've been given in Christ even the opportunity to grumble. Give him thanks for that. Because it's his gift among all the others that we have received. Would you pray with me? one who heals fully and completely our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we say thank you. One who has given us a life with challenges, with struggles, with burdens, we thank you. Because in all of those things you are present with us, you never leave us nor forsake us, you never let us go. And you are the God of covenant promises who never, ever breaks his promises. You always keep them. And we pray, Father, that as we go from this place, even this morning, that we may live out that healing that we know in Christ in gratitude. And those of us who don't know, who don't know that heart healing, I pray, Father, that you move us in Jesus' name to that place where we can acknowledge. We can be the mat hitting the floor saying, I'm here, Jesus. What are you gonna do? that you might look at us as you did this man and say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Lord, may you do that work in us because you're the only one who can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, usually I would simply bless and dismiss you. But today... So, um, the two weeks after the election were two of the most difficult weeks that I've ever had in ministry. And it was difficult because of the poison that was being spewed out all over the place about different things, all perspectives, every side every feeling, every thought, every political belief. And the reason it was such a poison to my heart is because that these were all people on both sides, on, on every side, whom I love. I love dearly. And there are, that's the people in this room too. On both sides, on, on very diametrically, politically divisive sides, that's people in this room and some of the things that were being said and posted and spoken of in the weeks, and it has continued certainly even up till today, um, 
just have, have hurt my heart. And I'll be honest, you know, I'm certainly not innocent in that. And um, I decided in the moments after the election or the days after the election that I wasn't going to address it from the pulpit. And I wasn't going to address it from the pulpit because I was still deeply wounded. I was angry. I was frustrated for various reasons about a number of things. And that for me to address that uh, from the pulpit would be unwise and could cause certainly more harm than good. Because um, I want to always respond to difficult things, challenging hurtful things in wisdom and discernment, having prayed and asked God what it is that you want me to say here and what do you want me to do? And I think in the moments after, the days after the election, God gave me this day, the day, the Sunday after the inauguration, to speak of this. You'll notice I don't have the pulpit up here. That's intentional because I'm not here preaching God's word. I am here sharing as Scott. Now, Pastor Scott Scott. And I know I have the role and the responsibility to be the lead pastor of this community. I take that responsibility seriously. Um, but I want you to hear my heart because all I can say this morning is what I will stand for. What I'm going to stand for and in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead and how it is that I'm going to approach what is a very, very schismatic, broken, divisive, experience that we have politically, not only in this country, but it seems to be worldwide. I can tell you what I will stand for. And here's what I can tell you is that I get this idea from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 that talks about us being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's an important word. An ambassador is a representative of Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ here in this world. So I want to share with you what I will stand for. First thing that I will stand for is justice. Justice is, is a word of scripture. It is a theme of scripture. It is the heart of God that there be a just, there be just action, just life, just experiences for all people in this world. And where there is injustice, I will do my best as God wills it and strengthens me to stand against it. That includes racial injustice, gender injustice, evil and even sexual identity injustice, gender identity injustice. Where there are victims of injustice, we as followers of Christ who stand in the shadow of one who stands for justice have a role and responsibility to stand along those, alongside those victims. The second thing that I will stand for is I will stand for those whom Christ stood for. We know from the parable of the sheep and the goats that he will stand for the widowed, the orphaned, the hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are in prison. We know elsewhere in scripture that Christ will stand with those who are foreigners within the gates of God's people. We know that God always stands with those who have been rejected and those who have been thrown aside by culture. And we certainly have those people in our culture, in our world, 
who have experienced that. They've been thrown aside by capitalism, the educational system, the social structures that we have, whatever it is. And I will stand with those whom Christ stood for. I will stand for life. And yes, that is an issue of abortion. But it's also an issue of things like health care. Issues like neighborhoods and communities that aren't conducive to life flourishing. And I will stand that we see life grow. It also means that I will stand against violence, including violence in war zones. That I will stand for life by saying God is the creator of life and we will do, I will do the best that I am able to seek life protected and flourishing in whatever context I can do that. If it's in hospitality lane where Miriam goes to volunteer or if it's at the local legislature when they talk about stuff like Affordable Health Care Act when it's talking about neighborhoods needing transformation and safety so that kids can walk down the street without experiencing violence. I will stand for life. And I'm also going to stand for people being able to see each other as image bearers of Jesus Christ. There are people in this room that I disagree with vehemently. I and you are on opposite sides of whatever issue. But when I look at you, to the best of my ability, I see one who was created, who is fearfully and wonderfully made. It was a beautiful celebration of God's ability to do an amazing thing, and that is make life. And when I interact with you, even though you and I disagree, I will do my best to treat you in that way. One of my great sadnesses of the past couple months has been that some of the words that we have spoken online, in articles, even in person, the sort of broad strokes that we have taken with our words have not seen each other in that way. And unfortunately, some of those folks who have done it the best are followers of Jesus. That breaks my heart. Because you're my brother. You're my sister. Even if you are my enemy, we are at least brothers and sisters as image bearers of Christ. And therefore, I have a responsibility and a duty to stand for treating everybody as an image bearer. So if we disagree, I'm going to do my best to do that. And I hope you do your best to do that with me too and with others in the room who you vehemently disagree with. But two more things. I will also stand for unity. I've said it before that once we walk into those doors, we are one body, right? And a body has some different parts. There's fingers and there's spleens, among other things. Those are very different things. But they work together to see the body flourish. And when you walk into those doors, I hope that you see everyone here, even those that you are on other sides with, as part of the body. And I will stand for that. In fact, if you want to see me stand really strong, put that at risk. A final thing that I will stand for is I will stand for love. 
I love every single person here. Some of you don't even know your name. I don't care. I love you. You're part of the body. God has you here for a purpose. And I have the privilege of being able to stand up here and share life with you, if only for an hour. And I love you. And I hope that you can love me. And I hope that you can love that person beside you who maybe you aren't on the best of terms with right now or that person across the aisle or that person across the room. Because, folks, we have challenging days ahead. I'm not sure what this time is. I've never seen it in my lifetime, but I'm not as old as some of you. Maybe you know what it's like. I don't. But I look at the way that we have engaged with this whole process and it... For the first time in a long time, there are moments of fear. And I know what has victory over fear, and that is love. Love. Love fights fear. And this community, as I stand within it, I will seek to stand for love. Would you stand and we will together receive God's blessing. Friends, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift his smile towards us and give us his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's people together said, Amen. go in peace.